This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 197. I have a fabulous show today for you with award-winning landscaper Monique Allen on the benefits of lifescaping your green space. And I am so interested in this topic because we are for once going to have a nice big terrace where we're moving Uh, You guys would have followed maybe my uh, quest to find a mould-free home. We were unfortunately unable to find a house that didn't have water damage. We really wanted um, a garden and, uh, and that kind of jazz, but my health is more important. So we did end up going with an apartment, but it's got a really massive terrace and I'm so excited to get lifescaping. Uh, and so this show, I was literally glued to Monique's every word and she's such a wonderful educator, so supportive and empowering. And we really steer the conversation, not only towards the big picture of what lifescaping means and creating a space where there is, uh, more of a flow between your indoor and outdoor world and, and really starting to feel like you are, Uh, a part of nature when you're in your outdoor space as opposed to standing on a square of lawn. Uh, We also talk about the beginner's steps. How do we start? Where do we start? What are the simplest things we can do to start tuning in better to the kind of climate we live in, the kind of soil we have, the kind of the way light hits our plot of land, etc. Um, so it really is a wonderful one, not only for city peeps, but also for country peeps. I think everyone is going to get something out of this. Uh, Monique is the founder and creative director of The Garden Continuum. She is an award-winning landscaper. She's spent 35 years as a gardener, designer, business owner and employer, uh, and she is uh, – incredible. I really like the way her mind works. Um, She is uh, a real delight to learn from and listen to. And we talk about her latest book, which is Stop Landscaping and Start Lifescaping, a guide to ending the rush, rush, humdrum approach to landscape development and care. And I think to anyone out there who has grown up Uh, or in your adult years, thought of yourself as a black thumb, someone who cannot keep a plant, let alone a garden alive, Uh, this will definitely help um, dispel that myth for you and maybe give you a bit of a clue as to why you had an unfortunate experience with a plant dying in your care in the first place. Uh, I definitely had some aha moments uh, myself. So uh, that will kick off in just a little second. I want to share with you a wonderful new sponsor for this month for the show. Thank you to the wonderful Natural Bedding Company uh, for being our show supporter this month. Uh, So all the month of August, you have 10% off all of their latex mattresses and latex pillows. It is an Australian company. Your code is LOTOXTNBC, all one word, uh, lower or uppercase, doesn't matter. And you get 10% off all latex mattresses and latex pillows. So these guys are passionate about using the most environmentally and ethically sound, natural, healthy materials they can find. They've been handcrafted in their Sydney workshop for over 35 years now and are a really well-trusted brand in the Lotox community. I know lots of Lotoxes have bought and used their stuff. They have gorgeous bedding as well, really gorgeous range, uh, and I am super excited to bring you this discount. It's a higher ticket item, something like a latex mattress or pillow, so it's always helpful when we can get a bit of an in with 10% off and um, you uh, will love their website. It is just such a calming, beautiful website. 
uh, and uh, I, I really love the way they work, their ethics. Uh, they also make things like bespoke bed frames, bedside tables crafted from sustainably managed Australian timber, um, have beautiful organic cotton bed linen, wool pillows and wool quilts as well. Uh, so you can always give them a call and have a chat. I know a few people have shared pictures lying on one of their beds in the showroom uh, this year uh, while they were um, workshopping because they have a book of Lotox Life in store. So they were reading the book and on the uh, on the bed. So thank you for sharing those sorts of pics. I love seeing where my book manages to travel to. Uh, and um, yeah, so you have the whole month of this. I hope you guys uh, who are after a new mattress or pillow uh, make the most of it. And um, yeah, I think that's all I need to tell you about this wonderful Australian business. Uh, the Lotox Club is just entering into a new month. Last month we had the clean air topic and we had a wonderful exclusive Your Questions Answered Building Biology Masterclass inside the Lotox Club Facebook group, uh, which went down a treat last week. We had a local building biologist, uh, Laudi Chincotta, um, on that. And uh, this month I have just announced the new topic, which is immune health. Uh, pandemics and uh, social unrest around the world are causing us to go down all sorts of rabbit holes and some big emotions are coming up for people, a lot of stress, a lot of anger. Uh, But of course, we know that the more stressed out and angry we are, the more likely we are to lose our rational logic mind, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. And then of course, the other side to that is immune health is depleted. Two things we definitely don't want to happen in the year 2020. We need to have our wits about us and we need to have a strong immune system. So it felt like the perfect topic to bring a sense of agency and empowerment to our Lotox Club community. It is a membership uh, model and you only have to pay $49 for the whole year. And that's Australian. So if you're American or a European, that's like 28 euro, 30 US Uh, It's a very small amount because I want everybody to feel that they can access it. But of course, it helps support our business and what we do for our Lotox Club community in return. So it's a beautiful uh, um, exchange, if you like. And uh, every month you have in your club dashboard that you log into your month, you click on it um, and you'll be able to see the past months that we've done. So if any of those topics are of interest to you that we've already done, we've done frugal food, we've done um, mental health, um, mind calming kind of stuff, we've done, uh, we had the clean air topic. I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, darn it. Um, Yes, I am. That's right. Um, The origin of things. So really helping to uncover where things come from, how they're made and starting to be more conscious across a wider range of topics. We started to look at things like printers, washing machines, uh, fabrics and textiles, a whole bunch of stuff. So this month it's all about immune health and we were doing another Your Questions Answered uh, Masterclass with a practitioner on immune health this month inside our Lotox Club chat group. Um, Not only do you get that, but you get 50% off all of our courses all year round, access to the chat group, and uh, it's just a beautiful place to be, really supportive. I think the the paywall there, in a way, helps to stave off trolls, trolling, unuseful, unhelpful comments from strangers on the internet, and it really creates a sense of a mutual support um, and community. I really, really love what's happening there. So I would love for you to join us. You can do that by either looking at the show notes today Uh, On the podcast tab of the website, we always have a shout out to the club, or you can actually look at the lotoxlife.com website, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option there. Okay, let's hook into this wonderful conversation with Monique Allen and have a look at how we can get lifescaping. Enjoy. Hello, Monique. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm really well. And I'm so excited to have come across your work. It is always uh, something 
that uh, excites me when it's something I hadn't personally thought about or a fresh take on something or someone doing something in the world that helps us give more back to the land than we take. And that is very much the line of work you are in with lifescaping. Uh, so it's great to have you on the show. And I would love to start by simply asking you, what the heck is lifescaping? Because <laughs> <laughs> people are not going to have heard of this. What the heck is it? <laughs> people are not going to have heard of this term. And so I think we just need to start with a 101. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, so we'll start with landscaping. So the, it's, it's a, it's a kind of landscaping. So if you told anyone I was a landscaper, they would know exactly what I did. Um, but I, I've been doing it a very long time and I wanted to do something deeper, something more, something more resonant. So very simply put, a landscape is something you look at and a lifescape is something you live in. And so the difference is all about the connections and the, um, the give and take, the partnership with nature that happens in a lifescape. And to someone who doesn't know any better, um, pretty is pretty, right? But when you interact with what I call a lifescape, what happens is there's an there's this mood shift. There's this vibrational shift. It's when you go into uh, an outdoor space and you're actually struck by awe or you notice that your heartbeat just drops just a little bit, just, you know, your breath deepens a little bit. And the idea was that why do these have to be, you know, big botanical gardens or, or, or a special excursion on the weekend? Right. No. Why yeah. couldn't, like, why couldn't we have this every day? Mm. And, uh, and so, and so lifescaping was born. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And uh, we were talking just before uh, hitting record uh, about Teresa Cody. You had listened to my show with her and you rushed out and got the book, Enjoy. It's a really good one. And for anyone who didn't catch Teresa's show, it was about four weeks ago now. So definitely head back and have a listen. So she's a construction industry icon, uh, author of Rebuilding Earth. And um, she talked about the misconception that designing green spaces and wild spaces into construction projects was going to make it all more work than concrete but the opposite is actually true when she looked at the data and when they started um, changing the way they designed uh, and so do you feel like what we see like you know we see a lifescaped garden space because of the variety and scope of it visually appears that it would be harder than a lawn but actually the opposite is going to be true is that true in your field as well I think it's, it, this is one of those um, times when a, like you really have to qualify the answer, right? So, so what we know about nature is that uh, nature is not, um, it's not necessarily, well, it's certainly not static and it's not necessarily consistent um, because if I have a year that is very wet, my landscape is going to behave one way. If I have a year that's very dry, it will behave a different way. And so because it's a life form, and this is part of the nuanced reality of what lifescaping is, is because nature is alive and moving and dynamic, um, it's, a, it's, a call and, it's a constant call and response. And I think what Teresa really was talking about is that when we concrete everything and that's not to vilify concrete because what an amazing tool um we miss out on the the connectivity between where we live and how we live and how we engage with the natural world uh not everything that she's talking about is some is everything i can get behind because i'm a person who manages the landscape and i see it as work um, but in a good way. And so one of the things that I like to do is rather than say one is more work than another or one is more expensive than another, it's to say that, you know, one takes a certain level of resource and another takes a different level of resource. But the truth is whenever we're caring for anything, there's going to be an input of resource. And it's, you know, it's not all that fun to weed concrete 
It, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't, you know, but if you're in your vegetable garden and you're pulling a couple of weeds and popping cherry tomatoes in your mouth at the same time, that's a totally different experience and you're doing exactly the same work, right? So I do think that there is a new, um, there's, a, there's a potential for a new relationship to nature and how nature is incorporated in our daily lives, both at our homes and our places of business and our communities so that we look at the care that we need to give, not as a negative, but as just the same way you care for your children or you care for your puppies. And you it's know. exactly what I was thinking as you were saying that about the concrete and the veggie patch and the weeds in both and the perception of the weeds in those two different situations. The concrete, it's like, oh, that's annoying. It's making my perfect concrete look wrong you know but if it's like a couple of weeds in a veggie patch you're like oh my poor tomatoes let me take those two weeds out and let them thrive better let me help you live so um sterile versus live is a really interesting um uh observation really about how our mindset shifts from one to the other Mm. yes definitely interesting so did you grow up like a wild child, hippie parents, the whole shebang, or were you? Was this more of an awakening for you to uh, start looking at the connections between us and our natural world? That's such a great question. So <laughs> I'm always curious. <laughs> so I I consider myself a gypsy. I I, I uh, moved a lot as as a kid, and um, my I'm a first generation um, in the United States. My father's from the Middle East. He's Armenian uh, from Syria. And, uh, and, uh, my mother was a linguist and she was, you know, in Paris and my father was in Paris. And so there was this whole, you know, um, connection with the world right away when I was little. And, um, I would say we were far more urban. Um, you know, we lived in, in Paris, we lived, uh, you know, in Cambridge and outside of Boston and, um, but interestingly, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, um, owned a hundred acres or something in the Allegheny mountains in the Western panhandle of Maryland. And one of the things that I loved most was to ride on the back of the tractor, this old tractor with my grandfather and my aunt who was only three years older than me and my cousin who is also only three years older than me, you know, and we'd, we'd go down to the cistern to fetch water because there was no running water on the mountain. And, you know, beyond that, like, Nobody was teaching me to garden. Nobody was teaching me to farm necessarily, but I was enamored by the wild, by, by this wild nature. And then as I got older, I always wanted to go always. And as I got older, I sort of made a hobby of looking at land to buy. I just had this weird hobby of, um, but I didn't actually start landscaping until I was uh, 18 and it, I fell into it. It was kind of a mistake. And I no sooner put my hands, uh, you know, sort of in, in the earth, um, that it was almost as though um, somebody plugged me in for the first time. And I felt my circulation was different. Everything was different. And I will tell you that, like, my head just shifted into another direction. And I never went back. It, I, I just never, and it's 35 years now. Yeah. Wow. So good. And, um, and so was it that experience as a child, do you think that made you, as you started to learn about landscaping, think lawns are all wrong. Like this is, we've got to do something better than this. Yeah. It, um, hmm, no, I, I am. So I would say that I'm not at all a purist around conservation or preservation though. You know, I sat on a conservation commission for 10 years. I've done, you know, big riverway restorations and bankman restoration and floodplain restorations. And I believe wholeheartedly in the conservation movement, the preservation movement, and in the native movement. Um, I also understand that we can sequester carbon in a lot of different ways and that, we have to, you know, as human beings living in the societies that we live in now, we have there, we have to marry practical applications of tending nature with the more lofty ideas of tending nature. Otherwise, everybody's going to pave everything because they'll be overwhelmed. So that is so good that you said that. It's so true. <laughs> if we don't like, 
we don't actually create the win-win and the deep why, then, then there's no real fire in the belly to preserve. No, and, we, and, and it, as soon as we start to stack up a few failures, we throw in the towel. Oh, We're yeah. all too busy for that. So, mm. so a good example of the lawn conversation is that, you know, I work with an awesome um, sod company called Sodco that's in Rhode Island. And they've come up with an, a really wonderful sod that's called Black Beauty Tall Fescue. It takes, you know, less water. It takes less fertilizer. You, you mow it less. Like, it, it's great. And they, they just introduced one called Micro Clover. So I was telling you that I built that healthy home with a, with a good friend of mine. Well, she built it, you know, with a good friend of mine. And I did her landscape. And we did all the lawn areas that we did, we did with Micro Clover. So Clover is a natural nitrogen fixer. It actually pulls nitrogen from the air. It's a legume and it, it fixes that nitrogen into the soil. And, and all turf grasses are nitrogen hogs. So this is why the industry puts so much product down. Well, if I have a plant companion planted with it that's providing the nitrogen, I don't need to, I don't need to play that game. You know, so, and, and lawns will, will sequester a lot of carbon, which is really, really good for our environment. The key is that you want your lawn wrapped in um, layered landscape. So really what we're looking for in a landscape is the lowest uh, items uh, and the tallest items. So that basically what happens is we've got this canopy layer with an understory layer, with a midstory layer, with a sort of pedestrian layer and then that herbation layer, and then your ground cover. And you, you want to cover the earth with vegetation and you want to do it in these diverse layers. That builds habitat, that cools the air, that sequesters the carbon. Mm, makes like a little mini forest is what you're basically describing. Yes, and, and in that forest, you'll have a clearing because, mm. you know, as human beings, part of our nature, part of the way our brain is set up is that if, you know, we, we're looking for open space. We're, it's kind of like... We have this, you know, there's actually this thing called the Sahara effect, I think it is, where, you know, we, we're looking for big, wide open space. And that's because we can see if somebody's coming after us, you know, we can see across the prairie, it looks safe. But if there's a lot of woods, we're scared, like what's, what's around the corner? So by layering it and giving these respites of open space, you, you sort of get the best of both worlds. Good for the human spirit. Yeah. Yes. And I, I guess I should have qualified that by, um, I'm, I'm not uh, anti-lawn, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely think the time has come for us to acknowledge that a square patch of just grass at the back yeah, of that's our house. O- that's over. That's, that's done. We're done that's now. Done. Yeah. We're done. We're done. Do something better than that. Yeah. Love it. Um, I'm a tennis fan. So the only time it would be okay was if it was big enough to have a tennis court, then I would be like, okay, yeah, you deserve okay. it. And I'll come play. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So where do we go from here? I think um, something I want to ask you then is if someone does have that plain patch of lawn right now, and they really want to start um, lifescaping more, what are some of those initial steps? Like how do people get going? Yeah, yeah. So, so the reason I ended up writing a book about this was because what I realized is that the, the, the machine of landscape, uh, the machine of that industry is um, so big, it's been really co-opted by, you know, the do-it-yourself movement and the you know, the, the, all the home and garden TV shows and so on. And I shouldn't say co-opted. That's like, that's mean. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, the fact that it's so out there, it, it's saying to everybody, you can do this, which is great. I think working on the land is actually our birthright. We should be able to work on the land. But what I tried to do in writing the book was to sort of frame um, how to think before you actually pick up the shovel. So usually what happens, so this is what usually happens, right? Someone goes outside, they look at their yard and they're, they don't like it. They go to the local garden center or box store and they look for some pretty flowers. They go after the color they like, they buy it, they bring it home and then they look at their yard and they go, hmm, 
you know, where, mm, where am I going to put this? And then they stick it wherever, or they plant half of them and then leave the other half of the door. And, 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 and then, you know, it's kind of this, uh, and it's funny. I, I teach, um, in the United States, we have master gardeners, uh, association, just a big group of people that want to learn gardening. So I'm, I'm one of the faculty members here in Massachusetts. And I, I say this to every class that comes in. Okay. How many of you have ever gone to a store and saw something pretty and, you know, plant and bought it and brought it home and stood in your yard and been like, I have no idea where I'm putting this. It's like we want so much to have this beauty. Like we, we see the blue hydrangea or the red rose and we're just like, oh, you know? So what I generally tell people is that, you know, that's probably the worst way to start. And the better way to start is to cycle back. And I have a whole chapter called Dare to Dream. And it really is about getting into the brain in such a way that you can dream about your home life, that you can really start to think, how would I, how would I want to be in this space? And, and from dreaming, it helps you to start, you know, creating a vision. And then from there you can build a plan. And then from the plan, you can start to talk to landscapers and, you know, it, it brings you down the line so that you don't make mistakes because one of the biggest things that happens for me is that I go to landscapes and I correct them. People have already spent thousands and thousands of dollars and I'm going to correct. So the first, first thing you need to do is when you're out in your yard, give yourself a minute, close your eyes and dream a little bit, whether it's with a cup of tea, a glass of wine, whatever it is, and start to imagine how would you live out here? And, and it's, I've done this exercise with so many people and it's, it's really amazing. How beautiful comes to them. Yeah. And I think, um, just coming back to the, how many times have you just gone to buy a pretty plant in the store? <laughs> yeah. Uh, guilty. <laughs> guilty. Me too. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember, so this was like one of the first, um, probably I was in my like mid to late twenties, I guess. And um, they all died, these pretty little plants that I got. And so what happens when you have that first experience as a failed landscaper at home is you call yourself a black thumb. Oh, everything I plant dies, you know, clearly I'm just not good at this. And you kind of shut nature out before you got the chance to start the right way. Is that what you see happen a lot? I, I see it a lot and I have a lot of people lament their black thumbs and, um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I think that's it. You, you hit it right. Exactly. It's because they've tried something and they've tried it leading with the product. And so what I really try to tease out in the book is the difference between product focus and systems focus. So you can, you can, you can uh, use the human body as a, as a, an analogy, right? So if I have, if my face is breaking out, I can go and I can buy a product and I can put it on my face. It hasn't changed anything, but now you don't see that I'm breaking out. The other option is that I could look at my overall health and I could ask myself, am I getting enough water? You know, am I eating a lot of sugar? Um, what is actually, am I sleeping enough? What are the things that make somebody's face break out? And now you have to go inside. The landscape is exactly the same. And so, um, and, and I think people like to believe that it's highly complex. And of course there's complex things, but we can all learn that hydration will help clear up our skin. Just like we can learn that to fertilize when you have no access to water is a humongous waste of money. Learned, done, right? Uh, so it's, it's really trying to gently coax people back outside. And I will tell you, I know COVID-19 has been horrible and scary. Um, the very interesting things that, ha that has happened is that my clientele I am seeing and all of the new people that are coming to me, they are spending a kind of time in their yards and in nature that they hadn't spent in decades and uh, I have more people vegetable gardening now. I have more people doing cutting gardens now. 
um, it's been really awesome because they had to slow down. And so if there's anything positive, people did get into their yards and, and maybe they're starting to see that they don't have a black thumb. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Um, and so in terms of uh, talking about building like systems for someone like me who, who has not got much experience with that, I've traditionally lived in apartments. I have an amazing mother-in-law who has a beautiful farm where we grow veggies and help her. Um, but me starting from scratch would be, um, I would be daunted. I'm just going to say it because uh, hopefully there are some people out there that are in that boat so that we can help those people and me, uh, not be daunted. Um, and so I hear the word systems. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much I have to learn. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be able to learn that. That just sounds like a degree. <laughs> so what, what makes it easy for people to, to feel like, Oh yeah, I got this. And I know where to find the right resources for my area and the vegetation that thrives around here. Mm-hmm. So starting small, that's the first thing, right? So, so, uh, always start small, always start with something that can be a win. So I often tell people to look at their mailbox, their lamppost or the left and right of their front door. Their most, their most important door, whatever their most, if it's a side door, most important door. These are small spaces that are like little pocket gardens and you want to start there. And um, so I have a free blog and, and if people go on there, they can type in, you know, map your shade. They can type in um, uh, picking plants. I have a little ebook, free ebook called Picking Plants to give you the, 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 the tips, those small basics that are digestible, tip of the iceberg kinds of bits of information. So let's say that in the front of your house, you have a, you have a walkway and there's a lamppost at the end of it. And that lamppost is surrounded by grass so whenever you mow, you bang into the lamppost and it's aggravating. And then on the one side, it's too squished between the walk and the sidewalk and the lamppost. So you feel like you have to go out there with scissors because you don't own a stretch. I mean, it's just a pain, right? So I say, okay, you look at something small like that and you say, wouldn't it be easier if I could just take the mower in a nice soft curve around a pretty bed? You could cut out a six or eight or 10 foot bed around that lamppost and then you could make that a garden. And the things that you're always going to start with are soil. You need to know something about your soil. And uh, in my Picking Plants ebook, I actually have in the back of it how to do a site analysis. And there's a little worksheet. And you go outside and you fill out the worksheet. Um, it's very cool. And, um, you know, so when you put a shovel in the ground, do you, do you hit rocks? Uh, is it sand? You know, is it, is it so hard you can't even get the shovel in? This is an important thing to know. The other thing is look at it at nine o'clock in the morning, look at it at 12 noon, and then look at it again at three o'clock. Has it been in sun that whole time? Or was it sunny at nine, shady at noon, and shady at three? These are the kinds of indicators that are going to give you the conditions. Um, and then the last thing is do you have access to water, right? So soil, sun, water. That, those are the building blocks for plants. And once you know those, now you want to match the criteria that you have to the plants that would like that. Now, there's a whole school of thought that says, I can change all that. I can cut down a tree and get more sun. I could drill a well and get more water. I could dig out all the soil, import soil, and put new soil. Yeah, that's really expensive. So if we could start where we were and do take the time to do what that's called a site analysis, then what happens is when you go to the nursery, you're not going to pick the plant because it's blue and that's your favorite color. Instead, you'll say, so I have rocky soil. It's in full sun and I have very little access to water. So maybe they're going to give you a prickly pear. Maybe they're going to give you a catmint or an ornamental grass. And you're going to say, oh, oh, I love that rose. I want that rose. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you don't have enough organic matter for rose. You know? So that's the way you start gently allowing yourself not to understand all the details of the soil biology, but instead just identify what you have. 
I love that. That's so, such great advice for people thinking, where can I start if I'm starting off the back of years of failure? It's um, much, (laughs) much simpler. And, um, and what I also love about that is the message that we should learn to work with nature instead of try to dominate her and do what we want in nature. We need to listen to what she wants. Yes. And it's a difference between um, a control model or a stewardship model. And so just like I'm trying to, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about moving from product to system and then we use products in the system and then also moving from control to stewardship, uh, from control to partnership, to dominance over control over to partnership with Um, there isn't a human being on this planet that can truly, truly figure out nature. So, so the better thing to do is to watch her and to be in relationship with her. So a great example of that is a vegetable garden. I grew tomatoes here last year and it was fine. Why are my tomatoes fine now? Well, you know, what happens, the relationship between the plant and the soil, you know, that relationship isn't always going to be exactly perfect. Um, I was listening to your wonderful guest about um, relationships between men and women and communication. Yeah, and I John's forget his awesome. name. What's John his Gray. Name? John Gray. And he was great. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was talking about, you know, how men think and how they process and how they deal with frustration and how women think and how they process and how they deal with frustration. You know, how a rose deals with, with difficulty is different than how a pine tree deals with difficulty. Plants are unique individuals the way we are and just the way we can separate men and women and talk about them in, in ways that look at them categorically. We can look at roses and pine trees categorically, but then when we're dealing with a rose garden, we have to talk to each individual rose because they are individuals. And we, when we bring the mind that is the same mind we use for humans and animals. If you know we're raising puppies and, and there's a litter, we look at the puppies and, and they're not the same. There's a lot of them, but they're not the same. Uh, I have a funny question people will say to me, I'll walk up the front of their, you know, their front walk and they'll have a, an evergreen plant on both sides, same evergreen. And they'll say, I don't know what's wrong with my evergreens. This one's big and this one's small. This one's fat and this one's skinny. And, you know, immediately I have to say, well, they're not the same plant. They're different. They'll say to me, it's the same plant. Why are they different? I say, well, they're not the same plant. They're two different plants in the same. So it's like saying this woman is this way and this woman is this way. Why aren't they the same? They're both women. It's the same. But then we have to look at the resources. If this woman has shelter and food and enough water, She's not going to be stressed. But if this woman has no shelter, no food, and no water, she's going to be stressed. So if I look at that front stoop, this side that's nice and fat and happy is getting sun, water, and his beautiful soil. The other one is getting shaded, and the sprinkler doesn't hit it, so it never gets watered. So it's that kind of leading with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was the word that just popped into my head. Oh, yay. Mm. <laughs> and, and when you lead with curiosity rather than judgment, and rather than um, upsetment that you can't control this thing, usually you'll find the answer, even if you're a novice. I don't know if we're talking about relationships or gardens right now. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we're talking about relationships because you have to have a relationship with your landscape and with your yeah. garden. <laughs> Too good. Um Okay, so let's talk uh, edibles and veggie beds. You mentioned them a couple of times already, hinted at the fact that they should very much be a part of lifescaping. Um, What are some ideas, tips that you have for uh, building a thriving veggie bed into people's lifescape? So I would say that if if someone is brand new, then um, start with one plot. That's it. The key with gardening is always to start small because it can get away from you very quickly. Um, So I think that, um, so if you're right off the bat, if you're going to be gardening in the ground, uh, like in the ground proper, not in a box, you have to soil test. You have to make sure your ground is safe. So that's just number one. If anybody takes anything away, soil test before you put 
edible foods in the actual ground. And is that something um, you can get at like Home Depot or Bunnings here in so Australia? In, like you in the United States, we we have land grant universities, and all of the land grant universities have soil labs. I'm not oh, sure great. how it works. Yes, in other we have countries. that here as well with okay. the CSIRO. Mm -hmm. Oh, perfect, perfect. Mm. So the best way is to send it to a soil lab because you'll get the best test. And really what you want to do is usually there's a box and, you know, it'll say, are you growing flowers? Are you growing, you know, blueberries? Are you growing vegetables? And the reason why blueberries, the ericaceous family is separate is because it needs something different than your vegetables do. Um, and, and you want to make sure there aren't any heavy metals. There's no lead, um, you know, in, in that soil. So it's really more about being protected. Um, with the people who are newly gardening, usually what we do is we have them uh, build boxes. So either build a homemade box, tons of YouTube on how to do that, or I'm a lazy gardener. So I'll buy a box kit and put it together that way. Um, and then start with one and start with easy plants. So, you know, you don't go hog wild all at once. You just really have to start one at a time. And, and the key with vegetable gardens is it's not a set it and forget it. You've got to plant it and then you are going to have a relationship with this. So my relationship with my garden, which is really quite big now, is that, you know, I will visit my garden in the morning if I can, but I leave very early in the morning. So often I can't. And then I visit the garden at night. And when you talk about landscaping in terms of visiting it, um, it remember we talked about the mindset shift earlier. It's the same thing. It's yeah, I'm going to go visit. And as you visit, you're, you're looking, you're talking, you're popping a cherry tomato into your mouth. You're eating a little basil. What do you mean crabgrass? Then you're pulling a crabgrass out. Next thing you know, your husband's ringing the dinner bell saying, will you please come in the house? You don't, you lose yourself in it. So I think that um, start small, really plant the things that you know you love. So lettuce, if that's your thing, or tomato or spinach, don't try corn if you don't, you know what I mean? Like don't, don't try that right out of the gate. Um, and then as you have successes, add another box and remember to rotate your crops. So that's really, really important. So it's super important to rotate your crops. And then it's really super important to keep amending your soil. So every year you want to, your plants are taking a lot out of that soil. Um, and the great thing is there are some really amazing websites out there that will really hold your hand through gardening, through vegetable gardening. But when I think about it in terms of lifescape, it's, it's kind of like um, your guest Robin who talked about permaculture. You know, if you really, when you have a lifescape, you are playing, you're resting, you're entertaining, you're feeding yourself, you're sheltering yourself. A lifescape is all of those things. But why wouldn't you have food? Yeah. It's just, it's easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Um, and when you talked about uh, rotating and resting, if you had a really small veggie patch, like we're talking like two by one meter type situation, um, and that was all you had in your back garden or even smaller, would it be as simple as just switching the crops around? Yeah. Um, so it was switching and then also um, amending. So amending would be maybe buying, like we have a product here, Coast of Maine. It's a wonderful compost in a bag and, you know, amending. So uh, when I first started all of this, when I first started sort of when lifescaping was kind of coming up, um, I lived in an apartment. I lived in apartments for years. And so all I had was a balcony. And so I affixed these long window boxes yeah, all the way around my balcony railings. Yeah. And then I would have big pots, you know, in the corners. Like, you know, maybe I had room for two chairs on the balcony when I was done, right? Or one. <laughs> that was um, <laughs> yeah. But then I move them, right? So if I grew basil here, next year I grow it here, next year I grow it here, 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 and I move my way around. If I grew tomatoes in one pot, the next year, you know, I might have that pot be um, herbs uh, or I might have that pot be beets. And then the tomato would go in a different pot. Um, so you can, rotating is very easy and it just means having more than one spot. Or if your tomatoes were on the left of your box, 
uh, now they're going to be on the right of your box and you're still going to amend. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and home composting is just such a simple thing that it, no one needs to wait to do. We have some amazing subsidies in Australia for worm farm kits and home compost as well, which is really cool. So uh, I know a lot of low toxes have gotten on that bandwagon and you can amend with something from your own scraps, which is even so better. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were talking about that situation where you develop a curiosity for your lifescape, you tend to it, you uh, spend time in it, and then you end up being called in for dinner kind of thing. Uh, what I was thinking when you were saying that was that sounds way healthier for someone's mental health than uh, comparisonitis on social media or uh, watching reality TV. <laughs> it just like, for me, it sounds like there is just such an incredible potential for uh, mental health lift. If you uh, engage in a lifescape and create one. There, there really is. And there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things um, about that. The first is that, you know, if you put your hands in healthy soil, um, it's, it, this is, this is proven and I don't know the technical part about it, but there are, you know, fungi and bacteria and life forms in soil that when you put your hands in it, it's, it's like a mood enhancer. It's, it's going to make you feel better. And I had, you know, I had a, I had a bit of a rough childhood and, uh, and I was, there was some trauma. And so when I found landscaping and I say it shifted my life. It shifted my life because all of a sudden I was in community with people that had very different conversation and conversation. It was so important and I wasn't getting it. Second, I was putting my hands in the ground and I was doing it all day long. Third, I was physically active, you know, fourth, I had sun on me. So all of these things, you know, we, we try to believe that if we live an indoor lifestyle or not all of us, probably no one on your show, you know, but, but, you know, there's a grand part of the world that believes that, you know, being inside in your basement and, you know, not getting outside is, is okay. You know, but it's not, we're, we're not, we haven't evolved. Everything else has evolved, but you know, life forms evolve very slowly. So I work very hard and I work very long hours and I have a big staff and a company to run. And so there's a lot of stress for me, my little 15 minute drive home. And then my 15 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it ends up being that I spend in my garden for me is a mental reset. I don't even know I'm resetting. It's, it's just happening. Yeah. You're called to do it and it just sorts it all out really. Yeah. And you have gaps, right? So Interestingly, those gaps was these thinking gaps where, you know, mostly what we're doing is mulling and chewing. We're not actually thinking like if there's a problem that needs to be solved that now we're thinking, but normally the mind is just monkey mind. It's just blah, 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 blah all the time. I notice that if I'm in, if I'm weeding, a couple things will happen. I'll notice that I go, I go blank. I, I stop thinking. And then when I kind of wake up from it, I notice I'm smiling. Yeah. Wow. It's remarkable. Mm. It's beautiful. Um, I, I don't know quite how to segue into this, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try. Um, obviously we know now and, and in just thinking about it logically, the connection to nature, whether we look at evidence-based studies or we actually just think about when we've been on holidays drowning in nature, loving it and feeling so calm and peaceful. Um, we want this. We know we want this and we need this. Chances are if you're listening to this show right now, you're thinking about how to do this better. And so the next step, I guess, is uh, to talk about what long-term care looks like and how we build a strategy around uh, a, a thriving lifescape for years to come and uh, some of the skills we might need, some of the resources we might need. Your book sure sounds like a pretty amazing place to start. Um, but to really banish this black thumb stereotype, like I'm even thinking 
people are going to set themselves up. They're going to feel really excited. They got their little bed done around the lamppost, for example. Then one of the plants isn't going to thrive and they're going to be like, see, it'll like confirm their bias that they suck at gardening. (laughs) Yeah. So how do we get over those humps? Because nothing is linear. Nothing is like, oh, I know how to do this now. So it's always going to be a success. There's always dips and there's always... Uh, like a um, a hailstorm that comes through that no one expected and that ruins young plants or whatever. How do we keep our spirit alive through some of the challenges we're going to encounter? And what are some of those challenges so that we can actually preemptively know they're coming at some point and, uh, and be ready for them? Uh, so we, do we have another hour? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first thing that came to my mind is that gardeners do better when they garden with gardeners. So oh, cool. I yeah. one of the things that is really, really great is for any of your listeners who are really interested in gardening is to find a community of gardeners. Um, again, in the United States, we have the um, National Garden Clubs of America and every, almost every town has a garden club. Um, we also have the Master Gardeners um, Association and they have a free hotline here. Um, so people can call and ask questions. Um, oh my gosh, sign up for my blog. It's free. I talk about gardens all the time. I can't help myself. Um, we'll pop all those details in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, and I'm not the only one, you know, there's, there's, there's some wonderful, wonderful gardeners out there. Um, gardeners tend not to be able to help themselves. They really want to talk about their gardens and plants and what's going on. I just posted on my Instagram feed, these really cool um, the chicken of the woods mushrooms, you know, they were just like crazy gorgeous. I had to post them and talk about them. So, so there, the resources are there. Don't be in isolation. That's number one. Do not isolate yourself because you will start beating yourself up. Um, and the other piece of it is that I think that there's, it's really, really important for us to look at the perspective, um, that we have around success and failure. And um, it's super, super important for us to understand that gardening is evolutionary, right? It's, it's every year is going to be different. Spring isn't spring. It's spring 2020 versus spring 2019 versus spring 2021. And all three of them, they will have similarities, but they are not the same. Um, that as soon as we can embrace that there is a... Um, uh, a birth, life, death, decay cycle in the natural world, we have to understand that the odds are that whole cycle is going to happen in your yard. It's going to happen in your little lamppost garden, right? And it could be that all the plants, except for the one that is in the corner between the walk and the, and, and the concrete or asphalt of your driveway, burned in the 100 degree heat. So that one died because it wasn't properly tended. And you say, oh, gee, guess I got to get more water there. Hey, what if I put a succulent there? What if I put something there that likes really hot heat? Ooh, ding, 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 learn something. So every single thing that doesn't go right, we need to use it as a platform for the next learning. Um, And I think that that's the best, that's ultimately going to be the best way for people to find um, find the kind of success, which means I'm making progress. And we all need to feel like we are making that progress. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that we want to look at any work we do in the landscape as a process, right? So, so maybe I'll dream first, maybe I'll have a vision, maybe I'll make some lists, maybe I'll take some pretty pictures off the internet, maybe I'll buy myself a you know, a magazine on organic gardening and I'll just flip through it. And, you know, it's this process and it's not a one and done. It's not a project. It's a process. And when we do that, then we can also say, I'm making progress. And, and, you know, and here's the thing, you will hit perfect every once in a while and you'll be like, Oh, the angels are singing and it's gorgeous and everything's blooming at exactly the right time. That's when I say, get your camera take a picture because it will not be like that tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we can draw a ton of parallels between our lifescapes and our lives. 
It's uh, yeah, it just keep feeling like, oh yeah, I've had this sort of conversation, but about kids, I've had this sort of conversation, but about metabolism, it's actually, you know, really the, the same thing come up. Yeah. Yes. The correlation is um, it's, it's wonderful. It's almost divine, right? Because what it means is that all of your listeners who are already embracing low tox living, they're looking for a way to live with more meaning, more purpose, more health. And, you know, we all, you know, we're not just walking around because I want to be healthy just because we want to be healthy, happy, vital, satisfied. We want to, we want to give a contribution. Gardening has an amazing power to settle all of those efforts in a way that it just kind of brings it all home. You know, whether it's beautiful little pots on your windowsill inside or a balcony or a little front garden or acres and acres of land. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it is a huge correlation. Huge. And when you were talking about just before about, you know, vision boarding, it kind of sounded like where you're grabbing things out of magazines and, and, um, and starting to kind of dream a bit. What I love about doing that now that we've spoken is I come back to those, you know, sun, water, soil, like what are they like? And if you've done that work, then your dreaming can actually be a little bit more focused. Um, you can actually start to say, oh, that needs full sun. That's not going to work. And, and not start building your hopes up about what you think you want. And you actually start looking for what's going to thrive. Yeah, it takes you out of pie in the sky um, because it's very easy to have lofty ideas. It's very easy. It's very easy to have big theories. Um, but the, the two main deterrents really um, are when, when we do projects and people, they want a lot. People a lot of times have their want button a little stuck, right? So they want a lot of things. So we list all the things. And then of course, the next thing we do is we list how much everything's going to cost. And then they don't want as much anymore. Actually, what <laughs> they want is all of that for less. <laughs> and so, and you know, whether I do it for you or you do it for you, the difference is that you may not pay as much money because you still have to buy the stuff, but you will have to pay in your sweat equity. You will have to pay in your labor. And so when we're looking at projects, what we want to do is we want to make sure that our labor is, you know, it, it, it it's meaningful. And um, so I think that like the way I tried to set it up in the book was like, dare to dream. Like that's, you sort of do that separate. You, you want to dream, you want to tap into to the desire. Then you have to see your setting because you got to get into reality. And from that, you make your vision. Then now you need to think about your resources, right? So you're going to think about all of those resources within your setting, but now you're also going to think about your financial resource, your time resource, um, you know, your commitment resource. And we say that the emotional resource is huge. So if, if, if you are not emotionally committed to, to tend this life form that you want, then, um, it's going to be hard for you. So you need to, you need to be simple, simple, simple. I have a, a list of clients that go from people who would never touch the ground but love the outside, love, love, love it, but that's just not their thing, to people who I have to say, can, can you just leave that garden for me? You know, like, the, so there's the whole gamut, and it doesn't matter. Just know who you are. And so there's a whole section of the book that says, who are you? Let me help you define who you are. So once you've defined who you are, now, once you know who you are, you can, you can discern the kind of help you need. Now let's look at the help that's available. Because there's all different help from the handyman to the expert. And you may not need an expert. You just need a handyman. It's fine. So um, it's a community activity gardening. You know, it, when we did our vegetable garden, my husband built all the boxes. It was a gift that my family gave to me. Built all the boxes. Then my son, you know, helped me amend and plant all the boxes. Uh, my daughter's you know, one of them works here in the nursery, in my business, but also works in a nursery. She helped me get all of these beautiful, you know, items. Uh, my other daughter took all these videos so that I could post them on our website. 
you know, so it's, it's like a community affair. And, and when you know that, then you don't put so much on your own shoulders to be so successful all by yourself. Yeah. And I think, again, what a beautiful parallel that we can draw from that to how we best thrive in our lives, in a work life, in a social peer group situation with our kids. It's much easier to go it with friends than to go it alone. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Another correlation. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Monique, this has been an absolutely wonderful chat. I feel uh, like so many more people are going to be confident to get started on their lifescapes um, and ditch the little square lawns and and start to spice things up a little bit um, and think of them as a clearing rather than that's it. Um, Yes. And the, the environmental impact of that, if if thousands of us do that as a collective is huge. Have, do you think about that often? I think about it a lot because I do a lot of conservation work. And one of the things that I love that your guest Teresa talked about in um, Rebuilding Earth was she talked about the way nature moves in ribbons. I was blown away when she said that, and I will probably adopt that for the rest of my life. I always thought of it as corridors, but but she used the term ribbons. and And then she said, you know, the rivers, you know, they wind in ribbons and then the, the prairies, they're in ribbons and then the, the um, edges of the ocean and then the tops, the ridges of the mountains. And I just got this incredibly beautiful vision um, of that. And so I think about, you know, if, 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 if my yard is organic and healthy and I'm not using a lot of chemicals and I'm really doing work to build my soil, but my neighbors on either side are blasting chemicals all over the place, you know, I'm in a, I'm going to be in the downfall of that. And so I think a lot about how education, and ultimately it's why I wrote the book, because I realized that I wasn't able to touch enough people. And I feel like we build communities when we garden. And when we do that healthy, we get outside more, we talk to people, and we're far more apt to create these connected ribbons for our pollinators and for our children. Um, and it, I, I just think it's, I just think it's the ultimate solutions, especially if we're going to have this suburban sprawl, let's at least sprawl nature while we're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, no plant is unimportant in, on this quest to greenify our world again in our urban spaces. Everything we plant matters. Yes, absolutely. And the layers matter. So I think it's really, really important that we're thinking about layers and we're making sure to think about time. When we, you know, when we plant things, we have to think 20 years down the road. We have to think 40 years down the road. It's hard to do, um, but I'm talking about big planting. When you're talking about communities, um, you know, your lamppost, you don't have to worry that much. You know, you can just <laughs> talk about this year. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but when we're thinking about the larger work of communities, we really have to think in, in time. We've got to ask about time and then we have to have the resource for maintenance. So just because you can spend $5,000 to build something, um, you're not going to set it for, and forget it. Have the $150 to, to, you know, to add later to care. And, and that just grows when the projects are bigger, but the operating budget for stewardship and care, the attention, that for me is the biggest piece and how we lead every lifescape. We start by figuring out. So how, how, how possible it is for you to take care of this and then work our way backwards to what we'll build. Mm. Ah, So, so true. It makes me kind of then draw the parallel um, with houses. You know, we build houses, but we don't think how's this house going to fare in 40 years time. We're just excited to have a new house and that's, it's shiny. It's new. I'm happy. Uh, But then things start to break in five years, like it's an iPhone and that's not meant to happen. We need more forethought with everything that we choose to build. Absolutely. And we need active engagement. So if you put in a beautiful kitchen, but then you say to yourself, I'm not cleaning. I don't care how beautiful the kitchen was. It'll be gross soon. So cleaning, tending, caring, maintaining. These are things that unfortunately the no maintenance, low maintenance movement have, it's, you know, it's trying to convince human beings that they don't need to care for things. They do. 
And one thing that, again, COVID has done is it's shrunken our world. Shrunken, is that a word? It's made our world smaller. And in making our world, small, world feel a little smaller, we're all more home and being more home, we're tending more. I, I, I can't believe how much I've seen my clients tending. You know, I'm going there and they, they have a little pile of weeds near the, the walk and, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry I left a pile. Like they left it in my yard. Yeah, yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm so proud of you. I'll clean that up, you know? So we just got to remember that everything needs care, even the things that aren't growing and living. Everything needs care. What a beautiful place to finish. Monique, thank you so much. Share your book title where people can find it and we'll include everything else in the show notes. Okay, wonderful. So it's called Stop Landscaping, Start Lifescaping. And you can get it at my website, thegardencontinuum.com. You can also get it on Amazon. And we tried to support a a small bookstore, so indiebound.com as well. But Oh, great. um, Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you have a beautiful afternoon and or evening, I should say. Yeah, I'm and in the dark. <laughs> I know. And thank you so much for sharing your gifts with the Lotox community. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.